away, away. We do an episode about Moana and it has spoilers now. But really, there's spoilers in this. But you can still listen. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. I am Chris Leva. Who is obviously very excited about our episode today of Writers Get Animated. A podcast about storytelling, animation, and maybe the dumbest animals ever animated by Disney. And that's saying something. Mm-hmm. Impressive feats. There's many <laughs> impressive feats to the movie Moana, open parentheses, 2016, close parentheses. I guess it's not, nothing to differentiate it from. Well, there is, is there? A, there is a documentary, Moana. Oh. From, like, the 60s. But oh. I don't think we're in danger of mistaking this animation podcast episode about that documentary. I mean, in my head, I've been thinking of the Ohio Lutheran Family Camp, Camp Moana, which is spelled differently. But whenever I hear Moana, never mind. Just, <laughs> that's, my, that's my own issues going into this. I'm going to hold on to that. This only could be one other listener with the same dramaturgical issues. <laughs> so, uh, what is Moana, Mackenzie? Moana is a... Disney Animation Studios movie um, that gathers, um, it kind of follows, I use the word follows here loosely, follows the Disney formula um, in that it takes a whole bunch of Polynesian uh, mythology and packs it together in this star-studded, family-friendly, family-animated classic. Family-friendly, family-animated? It might not be family animated with a hyphen. No, I don't it believe be, it. I don't, know. I don't believe okay. it is, but it is, it is a family film. I think that's yeah. what you may have meant. Yes, family film. Family film. For the family. Yeah. For the family. So. Film for the family. And I think, I don't, I don't want to get too deep into spoilers right now, but I will, I will say it's a really well-made film. Would you agree with that statement? I would agree with that. Yeah, I think we, we've spoken of many of the latest Disney Animation Studios movies. Um, and I think that each one kind of shows improvement on what they've been doing. And this is the, uh, this can't be the golden age of Disney anymore. What are we going to call this? Um, the platinum era, the um, the industrial revolution of Disney animation. That's what we're in now. Okay, that makes sense. Since we've already been through the Renaissance, mm-hmm. that's tr- we're progressing. We actually jumped like three hundred years ahead. Uh, they 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 have. I mean, th- their storytelling has gotten so rich, and their movie mm-hmm. making in general has become so rich. It's, it's really wonderful what they've been doing. And it's not just about the technology, and I don't want anyone to think that it's a 2D versus 3D thing, that, oh, they got rid of 2D and now they're creative. It's all in their storytelling. 
to be mm -hmm. honest. It's their storytelling and not the technology that's winning for Disney right now. Yeah, if, which you can, if you compare this to like Chicken Little, which isn't by any means a terrible film. It's not terrible. No, it's unbalanced, but it's, it's not terrible. Yeah, and that's, you can see the beginning of technologically what is Disney Animation Studios now in that film, but the story trust was not there yet. You're right. And so I think that's a good waypoint for us as we map our, our Disney timeline. Really well done, bringing Wayfaring in as the theme in Moana. I'm just going to put my hand up as we find our way through this. Which, if you haven't seen the movie, putting your hand up in an L formation, possibly on your forehead, means that someone is a loser. Uh, but you might also be finding stars on the horizon. I can't judge. Um, whatever you choose. Do you want to have a uh, fanboy minute? I think we have to put a minute on the fanboy clock. <laughs> are, are we going to do a couple of them, or are we going to just just have just our one fanboy minute on how cool this stuff is. I think we'll need to have at least two, but we should approach it. Um, we'll take more fanboy minutes as we need to throughout this podcast. Right. I think we should start with <coughs> this movie visually. Okay, the visuals of this movie? Or just this movie. This movie as a whole. This, okay. Okay, so we can, we'll put some time. Do you have the fanboy minute clock? I have a timer up right now okay so we'll put one minute on the fanboy timer so that way we can get this all out of the way and then we can talk like rational adults okay are you ready i think so go ahead boom i couldn't believe it um when when the little turtle they're walking, she's walking the little turtle and things like that. It's just those little cute Disney moments that they do where it's just a, it says everything about the character where she's being heroic, but it's just a small little gesture and it's just this cute pudgy Moana baby. It's the mm -hmm. kind of thing that, that Disney does so well. And the 2D animation of his tattoos, of Maui's tattoos. I was just thinking about um, how we talked about water in The Sorcerer's Apprentice, the a few episodes ago and the water in this movie oh man it's like the abyss but better yes combined if the abyss and aladdin's genie had a baby it would be the water in moana and um the the magic carpet from disney uh, from That's aladdin a, yeah because because it does a lot of the same head turns head tassels yeah yeah which is how Ding! How can this be expressive? It's water, but it looks like it has a head and it looks like it has a face and it's moving around and it's just gorgeous and funny <laughs> and it has attitude. And that is well past the end of our fanboy minute. Oh my gosh, it's animated. so good. This is why we'll have to have more throughout um, as we get into different topics on this movie. We might have to call them, yes. Mm -hmm. So um, Moana directed by John Musker and Ron Clements, who mm -hmm. have directed most recently um, Princess and the Frog, but also directed Treasure Planet, also directed Aladdin, also directed Hercules, also directed Little Mermaid. I went a little out of order. I'm sorry about that. I tried to go backwards. Yeah. That wasn't chronological. It wasn't. But 
it's funny that you mentioned Hercules because I feel like the uh, the Polynesian tattoo animation has a lot in common with Hercules and the vases. I actually had that same thought. <laughs> the the way that they told their story um, through his tattoos, through Maui's tattoos, felt very similar to the way they told their story through the vases in Hercules. Well, I think this is this is one of the newer additions to the Disney here again air quotes formula. Um, of the story within a story where you have a different kind of animation telling kind of the Ur story or whatever you're looking at. You have the tattoos here. You have the the vases or vases in Hercules. Um, you have the beginning of Mulan with the gorgeous... Um, I'm, I'm making a hand motion. I don't know the proper name. Watercolor painting thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chris is nodding. Yep. I'm nodding. Yep. I'm following. He knows. He knows. Um, so there's a couple instances of this, and I thought it was really executed well here because it wasn't really... I mean, it told the Earth story of the movie and Maui and his background in the um, You're Welcome song. Which, by the way, is available in total on YouTube from Disney. Disney released oh. it. So if you didn't know that it was out there, now you know. And you're welcome. I was going to say somewhere at Disney singing, you're welcome. Yeah, they are. My family, my family does that now all the time. <laughs> it's a good way to teach you're welcome to little kids. Well, we've taught Jack to say thank you a lot, but now it's just very grand to, that he says thank you about everything. And then we just go, you're welcome. Every time. <laughs> And it just like brightens your day. And then and then Jack says, sing it, sing it, sing the whole thing. I'm like, no, I just, <laughs> I'm, just it, I, I'm just addressing this one moment in time. I'm not going to bust out into show tune, although I could. So if you wanted to, if I wanted to. Uh, one thing I do want to say in the tattoos also is it's I think this convergent evolution that happened this year. I don't think these are related at all. I don't think that they've stolen from each other. There's no way they could. Um, but the Maui tattoo on Maui really reminded me of uh, the Kubo's father, Origami from Kubo and the Two Strings. Mm. Yes. Yeah. A lot of similar expressions, the wordless humor. Yeah, they called mm. it, I think they, they used the code word uh, Little Maui for Little Maui. Little Maui for the tattoos. And Little Maui was animated with hand-drawn animation by a team led by Eric Goldberg, famous for animating the genie in Aladdin mm. and also directing, and this is what it felt more like. He also directed the um, Hirschfeld-inspired Rhapsody in Blue segment from Fan Fantasia 2000. Which we've also talked about recently briefly and how much I love it. Did you go back and watch it? Uh, I did. I have not gone back to watch it uh, this year. <laughs> this year. This year. Wow. I have to specify. Wow. I have to specify. But um, the tattoos. Uh, it, it was just interesting that they take something from their heritage and are able to bring it into the modern era. And they talked about how difficult it was to actually put those moving tattoos on Maui 
and have them be expressive and have them be on look like they're on skin. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, they thought that that was very difficult, which it was also difficult to have have Maui have so much hair. Yes, but I love the background about that, about um, he was originally intended in the animation to be bald, but that is very much against um, kind of a lot of the mythology of the the virility and power coming from hair. Am I getting that right? You're right. You're right. Okay. The power of somebody comes from the hair. So there's no way that they would have a bald demigod unless it was a powerless demigod. But I mm-hmm. think they were probably going bald to try to court Dwayne the Rock Johnson, <laughs> who is bald. Yeah. Well, who who wears his hair bald? I don't know if he is bald. He I don't, wears his hair bald? I don't. I, he, he shaves his head. I don't want to make assumptions about how the Rock handles his um, head. That's a, on that note. <laughs> a, I'm, I'm just saying. We apologize to you, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, if you are listening to Writers Get Animated. You can tweet at us, at WG Animated, and let us know how you really handle your head. It looks great. It does, it does. I'm, we're not criticizing the look. No, no. You're welcome. I think it's classic, yeah. Okay. Moving on. You just, you just used Dwayne The Rock Johnson on Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Yeah, I, I okay. certainly did. <laughs> um, let's talk kind of about the characters in this movie because they does kind of have all the trappings of like the classic Disney movie, but they all behave in interesting ways. And I think for me, one of my favorite moments in this movie, though maybe not my favorite thing, it might be my favorite thing, I'll think about it, is when Maui <laughs> sees Moana um, and she's like talking about what she is and what she's doing is, okay, you're next in line for power. You got an animal sidekick. Yeah, you're a princess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, Disney, I see what you're doing. You're pointing out that classically, this is what a princess looks like. And you have her actively saying, I'm not a traditional princess. I'm not doing that. It's very nice to bring that conversation, um, you know, to the surface, as it were. It really brings. Wow. It really. You're just full of water puns today. I'm not even trying. You're just gonna let it wash over you. <laughs> but I think it's it's important, and I think what's different about the characters and the way that they created these characters is they they had two things in Moana. One that they've had since the beginning of the Disney industrial age. And <laughs> I think we're going to stick with that. Yeah, um, I'm okay with it. And then one that is only been used so far in Moana. Um, and one is the Disney story trust, which allows them to bring all the directors and writers and producers of the current films in production and have them all in on meetings and screenings to talk about how the story is going. So to help the dramaturgy of the movie stay solid. And that defines character and story and goes that way. But for Moana, they also created the 
oceanic story trust full of academics and professors and researchers and choreographers and people who know not story, but know the culture that they're writing about. Mm -hmm. So if, if this movie were a book, the oceanic story trust would be the hundred page bibliography at the end to tell you what all they reference to make this right. Because they did what Disney always does where they took a trip. They took a trip to see the culture that to experience it. And they, and it was a really transformative trip. They talked about how much it changed the story to take the trip, which happens because now you see what the culture's like and you realize, oh wait, now the water can be an actual character <laughs> and that can change. And oh, actually let's make the main character Moana and not Maui. So these trips are foundational towards creating the story and creating the character but having the Oceanic Story Trust where they figure out the culture and have them keep tabs on the culture so that they could be uh, respectful to the culture, but also express it in a way that is authentic, mm -hmm. but also respectful, but also interesting. So they... they this is the first time that they've had something like this to guard a culture that they're expressing where the creators of this, the film are not of that culture, but they have surrounded themselves by people to inform them about that culture. It is heartwarming. And as kudos to the Oceanic Story Trust, I do feel like this may be the first first Disney movie where I feel like the plot of it is not supposed to be the heart of that culture and it's a rich enough world that Moana takes place in that you see lots of other parts of the culture that aren't necessarily relevant to the story whereas movies that I, I love like Mulan Mulan feels like it's, it's sort of supposed to be the heart of that culture in that era and there was nothing else happening at the time mm -hmm. and also there's dangers of appropriation and, you know, maybe you do something because it looks cool instead of because it's the way it is. I mean, there's one character thing that happened with Moana that they talked about the Oceanic Story Trust putting, putting their foot down on it. And it seems like a small thing. So in frustration, Moana takes coconuts and throws them on the ground in a, in a scene that was cut. She took coconuts and threw them on the ground. And they said, uh, that is completely disrespectful. And no one would ever do that. So they cut it. And it's something that, yeah, of course, she's frustrated. She's a girl. She's a teenager. She's going to take these coconuts and just throw them on the ground because that's what we would envision a teenager angry and frustrated what else is she going to do? What else is there around to kick or throw or do something? Oh, the coconut. She'll carry the coconuts and throw them on the ground. Mm -hmm. But to be called on something like that, and also on something like Maui's hair, but mm -hmm. originally the story, I don't know how much about this you know about the original plot, 
<coughs> excuse me, um, but their original plot was Maui was the main character and he was helping Moana save her uh, love interest. Mm. And they were going on a journey to save her love interest. And um, I'm so glad that the movie is not that. Yeah. I I'm am kind of like, meh, about that. I am so glad that the movie's not about that. And I think the moment that they give their characters their due and really think about a way to make them richer and stronger and you know, put more attention into them. It just makes the movie better because of it. They don't take, I feel like that's an easy plot. I feel like that's an easy thing to do, but knowing more about the culture and bringing the culture in, they could tell a completely different story. And they did. Mm -hmm. They did. It felt very um, epic and it felt like it had a story of myth. It was really strong in that it felt like something I hadn't seen, mm -hmm. but, but also something that I knew what was going to happen. It felt like because of the so-called air quotes, Disney formula that is out there. Well, kind of, it expanded on a lot of that formula that you might see. Like I think that, um, chief Tui is probably one of the most fully formed father figures in a Disney movie who says, no, you don't do that. And then the, the heroine or hero goes off and um, does that. But yes. you see like where he's coming from, how he feels, you see his relationships outside of his kid. Um, it's best that he was voiced by Bova Fett as well. So Really? Yeah. He was. Let me find my Wikipedia article. I got it up here somewhere. <sighs> You don't believe me? I no, I believe you. I'm sorry. He he was voiced by the clone troopers in in Star Wars. Was he? Wow. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> this makes it more familiar. So yeah. um, so we could start a rumor that they were using him because he was on set. You know, so he was around Disney mm -hmm. Studios because uh, he was doing stuff on Star Wars. I mean, we'll start. that would not have overlapped at all in any way. <laughs> but okay, you can start that rumor. I'll start it. I'll start it. But <clears throat> also, um, the song that was sung, Where You Are. Mm -hmm. The um, navigation one? No, the, uh, the song that the father sings. Chief oh, on the island, yeah. Where we see, you know, it's the montage song where somebody's growing up. Uh, but we get to see Moana grow up, but we get to see the culture and we get to see the ideas behind this, that this is the way it's been done. It's a little bit Fiddler on the Roof-ish because it's about the <laughs> tradition. This is our life. And no one leaves, and they keep mm -hmm. saying that, and no one leaves, and no one leaves. Um, but it's, it is the father talking about his place and really wanting, there's no questioning that she's going to be the chief. 
it's going to be you. You're the chief. Mm-hmm. You're going to be the chief. It's, You're the steward of this culture. Here's what I'm giving you. Keep it this way. Right. It's nothing about you being a woman, nothing about you being a young girl, or I wish I had a son, or anything like that happens or comes out of this. It's, hey, you're my daughter, and you're going to be in charge of all this, and you're going to put your stone on top here, which is somewhat very much good dinosaur-ish. <laughs> it know. is. I really like the stone thing, though. It's just such a... I, I don't know if that comes from an actual... Polynesian culture somewhere. I feel like um, it should. If, if It must have. It's very interesting. But I, I just like the idea. He says, Chief Tui says something. One day you'll put your stone on top and raise us all higher. Because they're at the highest point of the island. Like, oh, that's a really cute. I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Disney. that was really strong and powerful. Little image of you will add yourself, but also it's elevating... The whole island, it's elevating the culture. It's not just her making her mark. It's Mm -hmm. not about, and I think that's where the difference between Moana slash good dinosaur, you know, making their mark and saying, (laughs) I mean, there are a lot of differences between good dinosaur and Moana, but this is one thing where a character has to earn their mark, so to speak. And, but it's not about herself and the expression of herself. It's, taking the people higher by what she has to offer her people while not leaving her culture behind, but expressing herself in the way that she must express herself. There are so many buts in that sentence. Where did we, which side did we wind up? Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Did I say, (laughs) I didn't mean for there to be a lot of buts in there. There's this, but there's this, but there's this, but there's this, but there's this. Okay. I'm just teasing. I know you don't have to repeat it. We go. <laughs> was it going to repeat it? I was going to try to say it better, but that's fine. <laughs> I was going to try to say it more eloquently, but uh, I think that has also passed. But it maybe it hasn't, but it probably has. You know, it said things pretty eloquently in this movie. Who? Lin Manuel Miranda. Oh, yeah, Lin Manuel Miranda. So, you need a fanboy minute to yourself? I, here's the thing. <laughs> I, I don't need a fanboy minute right this second, but let, let me say this about um, what they've done here. So they took the Lion King formula for the music here. They have, um, for Lion King, they took Lebo M, who had traditional music and the traditional language of Africa, create music. And they had Hans Zimmer um, of Boaha fame and mother, many other things um, create the score music. And then they got Elton John, who's awesome at music. And they got Tim Rice, <laughs> who is amazing at lyrics. And they, they formed this team of different experiences and threw it all together and created a masterpiece musically. Um, and what they did in this is they took Opataya Fuai and they took um, Mark Mancina for the score music and then they grabbed Lin-Manuel Miranda as sort of this, I don't, I'm not saying this like technically, but as an Elton John Tim Rice hybrid, just in <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda 
I'm not, I can see that. I'm not saying that's who he is. I'm just saying, you know, they just... Elton John, Tim Rice, plus more diversity mixture. Right. And then they got the, just Lin-Manuel Miranda just kind of checked all those boxes. So they needed somebody mm-hmm. with Broadway experience like Tim Rice, but is also a good songwriter like Elton John and also somebody who had, brings some diversity to the table, and that's Lin-Manuel Miranda. So, But... They talked about getting together in the room and playing some things and just trying some things out to get these songs together. So, Are you saying that Lin-Manuel Miranda was in a room where things happened? <laughs> I see what you did there. He, Thank you. He was, he was certainly, he was most definitely in the room where things may have happened. <laughs> Okay. So, and for you Hamill fans out there on the Moana soundtrack, there's a whole bunch of demo songs for this movie just sung by Lin-Manuel Miranda. So if you like Moana music and you like Lin-Manuel Miranda, boom. But what's really, it's really interesting because immediately following, I think the credits were rolling and I looked on Apple Music to get the soundtrack um, while the credits were going. There are two versions of the soundtrack out there on probably Spotify, but I do Apple Music, so they have the regular one, and then they have the deluxe edition. And the deluxe edition is the one that has the demos from Lin-Manuel Miranda, so you want to make sure it's the deluxe version. And the name gets cut off, so I just tapped in one until I found the right one. Yeah, so just just grab that one. Um, hearing him sing Shiny was a, oh, little, was a little strange. I liked it better. You liked it better? I think so. I mean, I like I like all versions of Shiny. Shiny's my favorite song in this movie. Um, I think it's it's interesting. It's unique. It's in the movie got Jermaine Clement singing it. I don't know. It's just Tomato is a very interesting character to me, even though he's it's just one scene. Yeah, I, I will say this as to a surprise to none of our frequent listeners, listeners, but Jack was horrified by that scene. I'm not surprised. Tamatoa was not, he did not understand the irony and the jokes or anything about that, why it was silly. He was horrified, especially when the black light kicked on and everything got a little <laughs> crate. That got, even me, I, I, I turned to him and was like, oh God, this is not going well. <laughs> <laughs> too scary, too scary. Well, things were not, I'm going to, we'll come back to Shiny in just a second and Lynn memo Miranda, but... <laughs> this is about Jack's reaction to things. <laughs> so the my favorite song, You're Welcome, um, you know, I think just as a whole, I don't know about singing-wise, I think song-wise on its own, I think Shiny wins for me. But as a whole, because of the art, because of what it's doing in the story, because of everything, I think You're Welcome wins just like overall. Um, but... After that song, Maui traps Moana in a cave on her own. And the audience is laughing. It's horrifying. Except for one child who begins to cry because he's afraid of abandonment. So there's my my son, Jack, my four-year-old son, Jack, is just weeping like, oh, God, and... My wife tries to explain, it's a Disney movie, it's going to be okay, it's all right. But that doesn't mean anything to him. It's going to take two seconds to solve like this. She's, okay. she's, she's going to get out of there. She's going to get out of there, I promise you. And, but he's just 
crying because she's been trapped and it's a horrifying moment. And everyone else in the theater is tickled by this moment. And Jack is the only person who sees just how awful this act of Maui is. Just like terrible. Everyone's laughing at it. But it's really, he's, he's pretty much condemned her to die. Mm -hmm. She's immortal. And he's, gonna, he's just leaving her there in this deserted island. And she's going to die. And Jack was the only person in the theater who knew that that was her fate. And he just wept. He does also threaten to eat Hey Hey many times. And I feel like people in the, the screening that I saw laughed at that a lot too, which is funny. But like Moana does nothing to defend Hey Hey. Yeah, she doesn't, but Hey Hey. <laughs> We'll get to Hey Hey. Can we talk about... Let's finish talking about Shiny for a second. And yes. Okay. So part of what's interesting about the Lin-Manuel Miranda versions of these songs is not just the fact that Lin-Manuel Miranda is singing them. And he does Shiny in a... It sounds like a very traditional Disney bad guy song voice. Mm -hmm. He puts on a British accent Mike, are you Jafar now? Who are, who are you trying to be, Lynn? I thought Eddie Izzard. Well, no, Eddie, Eddie Izzard's a little different. He sounded, he, I think he was going a little for um, Bowie and Labyrinth is part mm. of what it sounded like. Yeah, es yeah. Especially towards when we get into the bridge a little bit. But what's also interesting is the story changes. So in the, in the song Shiny... They talk about Granny. They talk about what the grandma has said. Um, and Moana's grandmother has told her to seek what's inside and be true to yourself. And Tematoa in the song says, you know, your, your granny lied, is what he said. Your granny lied. I'd rather be shiny. Mm -hmm. What's interesting in the demo is he says, your daddy lied. Hmm. So your daddy told you that what's inside that counts. So it changed the relationship between the relationship between Moana and her father and it was different when they were writing, originally writing the song as to when it came out finally. I like the final version better. I think it's important for her to not seek her father for that kind of advice. Yeah. I think it needs to be, as she puts it, the village crazy lady. The grandmother willow of <laughs> Moana, yeah. essentially. Literally. Every village has one. Literally her grandma. You know, in Pocahontas, we get grandmother willow, who's the arbiter of the culture and the truth and the essential expression of the magic of the culture. Sure. In a way. And now we have, you know, the grandmother here in Moana as the arbiter of the truth of what the culture is and what, what's really there at the culture and why Moana feels like she should travel and go. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting in the demo of Shiny to hear that difference between the grandmother versus the father saying things. 
I just thought that was cool. And it threw me off when I was listening to it. Because, I mean, there are different lyric changes, which are fun to hear the different lyric rhymes that he comes up with in the demo versus the final. But it's also interesting to hear the story changes, too. Yeah, I did not catch that on my listen. I'll have to listen to it again now and hear that. Um, daddy issues. Interesting. Daddy. And it comes back to daddy issues. Um, I do want to pursue Tomato a little bit. Because um, you mentioned that kind of the driving force of this movie is discovering who you are and who you're meant to be. Which is what Ron Clements said about it as well. Um, with that in mind, if, that's, if the arc is Moana discovering who she's meant to be and who she is inside... What would you say, what or who would you say is the antagonistic force of this movie? That's a really interesting question because I think it's the antagonist is the lie of who you are on the outside is the antagonist. Hmm. Because it comes back to what the mission is to restore the heart um, back. And I'm trying to think in, in terms of it's, it's that lie of who you are versus what you appear to be. What's interesting about the character of Maui, though, is that who he is is written on his skin. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have a choice about what tattoos are there. As he says in the film, they just appear as he earns them or as he lives and as he accomplishes things. In the song, You're Welcome, he says, um, they're the, all of everything that he wins. That it's the tapestry of everything that he's won, but it's, it's a little bit different for him to have that, whole story about who he is on the outside but he's the one character where it's a little different but he I has think for me it's kind of hard to articulate how these two things work together because I think it is Moana's discovering who she is on the inside but a lot of the antagonistic force that I see is selfishness throughout the movie because Maui's this very selfish character until he learns to see outside of his needs and his wants and what helps him. And Tamato, of course, is super selfish with the gold shell and he's very vain. And then um, even Moana's father is selfish in that he just wants to protect the island and not have any concern for anything outside of the island. Well, I think, I think the chief is actually doing something a little bit he's being selfless in a way i mean he's protecting everybody else so i don't think he's selfish in, in trying to protect what's his he's trying to protect everybody and in trying to protect everybody he's essentially damning all of them yeah because selfish. of his fear for them it's it's not the right articulation maybe it's more um it's something about, like, having, I don't know. 
almost like having closed borders, like not being open to, I don't I'm not articulating it well, um, <laughs> but there's something in there. I think I'm not sure what it is, but there's an overarching antagonistic force that seems to be similar between the different characters who are the villain in different scenes. Well, for much of the movie, Maui is the antagonist in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely agree. So they're fighting uh, as they're trying. She wants to go to Tafiti and restore the heart, and he won't do it. And he's constantly, essentially murdering her on multiple occasions, throwing her off the boat in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> yes. The ocean saves her, but yeah. that does not change the fact that he throws her off the boat in the middle of the ocean. See, he's essentially attempted murder about 30 times in the film. Yeah, he just can't get rid of her. Yeah, like literally he's trying to get rid of her in the most basic and, and eat her chicken. Hey, hey. Mm hmm. Hey, hey. I, and can we say something about the animals real quick? Yes. Oh, Pua and Hey, hey. Pua and Hey, hey. Um, I think uh, it's not since... Uh, they, they did a, a little bit in Frozen where Sven, the reindeer, doesn't speak. Who also made a cameo appearance in Moana, which was fun. Where? You didn't see Sven? No, I miss Sven. Um, it's the scene where Maui gets his hook back and is trying to transform. Oh, he's Sven there. And he turns into Sven for a moment. He turns it. It's very much like the moment where the genie's transforming um, Abu into different animals. That's what I thought of at that moment. It's like, oh, this is very much an Aladdin-like moment of a character changing into <laughs> different animals. Um, which is a very Disney thing to do. I mean, it happens a lot. I mean, Emperor's New Groove, mm-hmm. Aladdin, maybe just those two. Lion King. Lion King. <laughs> so, Lion King. They're just all animals all the time. They're just all animals all the time. But um, they... In, in a tradition, just basically Sven, and if we go back, I guess also Entangled, so it's a more recent tradition, but mm-hmm. it, of non-talking animals. Yeah, they're still expressive. Right. And the first... They clearly know what's going on. So Snow White started with animals that didn't speak. Pinocchio continued with animals that didn't speak. Except for Jiminy Cricket. Except for Jiminy Cricket. But Figaro and Cleo didn't speak. Um, Dumbo. Dumbo didn't speak, but Tim- and none of the elephants spoke. But Timothy the mouse spoke. So they had this, well, some of them can talk, some of them can't talk. And it got a little wibbly-wobbly, animal-wanimally. And it got a little bit, of, a little bit troubling. But then they hit in Pocahontas, they said, because of the story that they were telling, they didn't want talking animals to get in the way. They didn't want wisecracking animals. So 
Miko the raccoon, and I suddenly can't remember the dog's name, and I feel awful. Oh. Um, it'll come to me a little bit later. But they had them not speak because they thought that the story they told was too important to get in the way of wisecracking animals. And of oh. course, this was coming... Little did they know. I mean, this was coming out of things like having most recently like Iago from Aladdin. And <laughs> so, and even in Aladdin, Iago speaks and Raja doesn't speak, but it's still the wisecracking kind of animal jokiness. They didn't want to have that in Pocahontas, so they made a deliberate. Yeah, they had cartoony animals, but it was. They made that decision not to give them wisecracks and jokes. And I think Pua is a very funny character, but a very real character because it doesn't try to. Um, when Moana fails immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Pua does not support Pua. is like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Pua I'm out. Pua's out. <laughs> <laughs> Gone. She's like, I'm going to try this again. Nope. <laughs> Pua, Pua out. <laughs> so I, I think that was important to have. And then Pua doesn't even get on the boat with her on the travel. It's just the accidental, yeah. hey, hey. It's not even a lovable animal sidekick. It's the dumb animal that, that nobody really cares about. It just keeps walking off the boat. There's <laughs> no Pua most of the movie. Yeah, Pua is only in the first part, really. And they do, like, hey, hey, if you follow the hey journey, hey is very <laughs> intentionally shown or not shown. When hey is not shown, hey, hey is somehow aboard the boat later in the middle of the ocean. In the climactic scenes of the movie, hey, hey is shown like, on this little piece of raft floating away so they can effectively... Say, like, look, Hey Hey's in the background and okay and not in the rest of this action sequence. <laughs> hey Hey's not in danger. Yeah. Hey Hey's A okay. <laughs> I just think what's interesting about Hey Hey is the way that they took him. He originally was more of a, I don't want to say a rude character, but stealing food from Pua and just kind of having more of an attitude. And I guess some audiences were like, oh, that poor pig, he's getting his food taken. <laughs> so just took that out and left, hey, hey, like, look, with a lobotomized chicken personality. Yeah, so they're like, let's, let's get rid of, let's, let's just make him dumb. Let's just make him completely stupid. And maybe that'll fix the character problems that people were having with hey, hey. And uh, I think it solved it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Never has there been a dumber animal. In any Disney film. Well, not since Thinking. not since Ed the Hyena in Lion King. But he could still talk. He could he he did not talk. He spoke with his laughs. There were happy laughs, there were sad laughs. I mean, we have Jim Cummings to thank for that. And also, I didn't realize that Alan Toydick voiced Hey Hey. Yeah. They merged his vo they vo merged his voice with rooster sounds <laughs> and created the voice of Hey Hey because he he's like the John Ratzenberger of um, the Disney films so he's in what was that of chickens well of all he's been in every Disney film since um, 
What was the one he was most recently in? He's since Wreck It Ralph when he was King Candy. He's been in every one of them. He was um, <laughs> the Duke of Wesselton in Frozen. Oh yeah. And he was the Weasel Weaselton, which is a funny nod in Duke Zootopia. Weaselton. Yeah, Duke Weaselton in Zootopia. <laughs> and, and then to go from those two roles to Hey Hey, it's a little uh, extreme. I'm sure you had fun with it, though. How could you not? How could you not? And he's going to be... Screaming chicken for a scene? Cool. Ah! Ah! It was, yeah, it was just classic. Mm-hmm. Classic. <laughs> like, just the, the chicken realizing you're on the ocean. <laughs> he's not too stupid to realize how bad it is. It, did, it, felt, like, it felt like a DreamWorks joke. But, like, the good high end of DreamWorks jokes in the middle of this Disney movie. <laughs> I, I can totally get behind that statement. <laughs> See? Yeah. Like, it's, low, it's very low-hanging fruit. Um, but I don't mind in this case. <laughs> yeah. Because everything else is so elevated. Yeah. The rest of it is so sophisticated. And I think the fact that they gave... The characters there do. The fact that they did give Moana a journey that wasn't about a love interest. And they started doing that a little bit in Frozen. But here, there's not even talk of, you're going to have to get married someday. You're going to have to... None of that was even in the picture. And I appreciated that so much. When was the last love interest Disney movie? I guess we could count Frozen because there is there is a, a love, love interest. There's there is a love, a love story. story. Mm-hmm. But Zootopia didn't have one. Well, it, it depends. It depends on, on your you, interpretation. Depends on who you ask. They're just friends. I believe it's stronger as a friendship. I said that in our Zootopia episode. I say it again now. And they're, I agree with you. They're better as friends. Yeah, they are better as friends. Don't Google it. Don't just, just don't Google it. We're shaking our heads. Yeah, I'm shaking my head a lot. <laughs> um, do we have any more to say on Moana for today's episode? I I was just really I, I think I, just to reiterate the, the fact that they put so much effort on the culture it shows through in the final product and it works really well. Like it adds to it. It clearly adds to the whole. And it tells a story that didn't seem like I've heard before. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't surprised necessarily by the ending of the lava monster is actually, you know, Tafiti. I, that, oh no. that didn't really, I wasn't shocked at that. That made perfect sense in terms of the theme of the film of who you were on the outside. If you've lost track of your heart, so to speak, you change. If you are not expressing your actual true self, self yeah, if you're not expressing your actual true self, uh, you become a lava monster. 
essentially. That's the moral of the story. The moral of the story. If you don't be who you really are inside, all your friends are going to kill by your lava monster inner self. So find your heart. Find don't your heart. Don't be a lava monster. Don't be a lava monster. Hashtag don't be a lava monster. <laughs> that's, that's the episode right there. So. <laughs> don't be a lava monster. Right is good animated talks, Moana. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite thing? Um, my favorite thing is from the song You're Welcome. It's something that I didn't really notice until listening to this song later on. And it's the, the lyrics of... Now, now it's your day to say you're welcome because I'm going to need that boat. <laughs> so that, that change where he's like, now it's your day to say you're welcome because I'm going to need that boat. Boom. And he said that, that, and then the, the, the joke lyric of, because Maui can do anything but float. It's <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, so the joke is, is better, but the, now it's your day to say you're welcome because I'm going to need that boat, which Jack, Jack sings that every now and again, because I'm going to need that boat. It's really cute to hear him <laughs> sing that. You have to record it sometime. Yeah, uh, but he does translate it into cat. So meow, 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 meow. Well, because he does, it's like my turn to say meow, meow, meow. So <laughs> instead of you're welcome, he says meow, meow, meow. It's, it's a whole host of things in my house. There's, there's a lot of cross... <laughs> Cross-departmental. The Jack, the Jack multiverse is vast and wide and without boundaries. <laughs> uh, speaking of being without boundaries, my favorite thing this week is your impression of Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> no, it is not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. <laughs> um, Chris has aptly, aptly described his impression of Lin-Manuel Miranda singing as a high-pitched Tracy Morgan <laughs> And I'm more impressed with how spot on that description is than how far off the impression is. It's, it's, listen, if Lin-Manuel Miranda is listening to this, I'm very sorry. I'm awful at mimicry. Um, I've, I think my wife described my, my um, Tim Curry impression as Christopher Walken doing an impression of... Uh, Francis from House of Cards. <laughs> so if you can imagine that as my Frank, Dr. Frankenfurter Tim Curry impression. <laughs> so, yeah, my, my high-pitched Tracy Morgan. It's just... I. The people need to hear. I can't even... I don't even know what to say with it. It's like... I, I, I don't even know. You can I, just sing your welcome in his voice. Now it's your day to say you're welcome. Oh, it's even worse because I had something in my throat. Hang on. Oh, let me do the... Because um, I could go on and on. Uh, see, uh, see I, my throat hurts. Uh-huh. I can't uh -huh. do it. My Good throat excuse. hurts. <laughs> your excuse today, Chris Leva. But one day... <laughs> On some episode of this podcast, I'm going to ask for your Lin-Manuel Miranda impression again. <laughs> I can go on and on. Speak of every phenomenon. 
don't mess with Maui when he's on the breakaway. Yeah, and it, isn't that amazingly <laughs> high pitched Tracy Morgan? It just is Liz Lemon. <laughs> I really do a bad Tracy Morgan too. So <laughs> you do, you do. Apparently, those those two impressions are convergent. <laughs> wow. Um, so this week, unmoana related. Oh, do you have one more thing? No, go ahead. Unmoana related. We do also want to briefly mention that the Annie Award nominations have come out by the time of recording this. Um, and there's a lot of them. I'm trying to find a list. Ah, um, so in the running for the Annie Award for Best Animated Feature, we have three Disney movies. Finding Dory, Moana, and Zootopia. Um, and of course, we also have Laika's Kubo and the Two Strings. You can listen to our episode on that. Um, it's a previous episode of this podcast. This podcast is called Writers Get Animated. That movie is called Kubo and the Two Strings. You can figure it out from there. Um, and our fifth nomination is Kung Fu Panda 3, hmm. which I haven't seen, so I have no strong opinions on. I would say that is probably the under panda of the, under the list. Panda. He's the under. <laughs> he's you the have un- to get the soft under panda. He's, he's the underdog of that list, but I went for under panda. I, I saw what you did. I was trying to be funny. No, no, it's done. It's done. Okay. Um, there's also lots and lots of different categories for animation nominations. Oh, that's fun to say. Um, <laughs> I recommend trying it. Uh, Piper, the Pixar animated short, is up for best animated short subject. We all love Piper. I think we discussed that a little bit. Did we? I don't believe we did. Did we do Finding Dory episode? No. What? What's wrong with us? Um, anyway, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, but there's lots to look at, including relevant to recent episodes for best animated television uh, slash broadcast production for preschool children is an episode of Ask the Storybots. One we did not talk about. So now you have a second episode of Ask the Storybots to look up called Why Do I Have to Brush My Teeth? And I have not seen it yet. I'm super excited on that premise alone. Um, everyone that I've talked to who listens... Yes, we do have fans who listen to this podcast and take our advice. Um, every one of our fans who have talked to who has taken our advice and watched Ask the Storybots has agreed that it is either for ages 4 and under or 18 and up. And that it's amazing. <laughs> so I might have to have Jack watch the Why Should You Brush Your Teeth episode. <laughs> Um, and I'm just kind of going through this. Lots of other good nominations and things. I'm sure we'll talk about more. Oh, Fish Out of Water from BoJack Horseman is nominated. That's good. Yay. Lots of things we've talked about on this podcast. What do you know? We know what we're talking about, world. You can rate us on iTunes and tell the rest of the world that you, the world, know that we are, we, the Worrell. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because my name's Mackenzie Worrell. Uh, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. And Chris, I guess. Thank, thank you, Mackenzie. I appreciate that. I got to throw you a bone once in a while. I was, I was going for you to say you're welcome, but that's all oh. right. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Can we talk about homework time while we have? Let's. Let's do it. Homework time. For next time. We are doing our second annual very special Christmas special. Christmas special. I lost it there a little bit. 
um, which is a very special episode of Raiders Get Animated um, that we talk about Christmas specials in, and it's also our Christmas special, which makes it a very special Christmas special Christmas special. Yes. And we are talking about both Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, exclamation point, 1966, and Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, no punctuation, the year 2000. So watch. Because it's the 50th anniversary of Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, exclamation point, 1966. Yes. And we know that the year 2001 is not animated. Um, You don't have to watch it. Just know we're going to talk about it in terms of adaptation because, and when you go from cartoon to live action. And because they're also making a third, well, a, yeah, well, a third adaptation of the original story, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, starring Benedict Cumbergrinch, mm-hmm. uh, 2018 coming out, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Punctuation yet to be determined. Right, whether it has an exclamation point or not. Yeah. A a topic of much speculation. (laughs) Um, So watch those. Um, And as always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Coutinho, and to Jacob Reed for our music. You can find us on the web on Twitter at WGAnimated, on Facebook.com slash WGAnimated, and find show notes. We have a lot of show notes for this one, so... Links to songs and you're welcome on YouTube and a lot of articles about people who have lots of thoughts about the making of Moana at writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. Hey, listeners, you're welcome. Ah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Good night, everybody. And you're welcome. We're so shiny, aren't we? Shine. A good night. Good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>